have many traditions that keep us from knowing God. You will not have a relationship with the Holy God outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not tradition of Jesus Christ. So if you will, with your Bibles opened, stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. John's Gospel, chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 30. John is summing up his whole Gospel and he writes, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We've already learned from John 17, verse 3, that eternal life is not heaven, it's knowing God. So John has written this whole book. He's given us seven signs that we might look at so that we might see the evidence that the only way to know God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, we come before you trying to do an impossible task to represent you in 40 minutes. But Father, you've already showed us through your word this morning from the prophet Zechariah that it's not by my power, it's not by my might, it's, but it's by your spirit. So I pray, Father, that you would work in this service this morning. Open up our minds to see the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated want to review a little bit about signs we went through three signs last week so if you were not with us last week you're starting at a disadvantage if if you're here and you you've never surrendered your life to the lordship of jesus christ or you don't even know what i'm talking about this i've got good news for you today this sermon will help you it won't help you make the decision. It will give you some evidence to look at. Then you must make a decision. If you're here and you say, I've surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this sermon will help you. We as Christians have been given one task. What is that? Make disciples. That's the one task that Jesus has given us. If you are actively doing this, you're always looking for ways to do it better. And you could take somebody through the Gospel of John and say, here's seven signs that God's given us so that we might believe. So if you got a pen and a paper, if you don't have any paper, do the Sarah Palin and write it on your arm. And when you get home, transfer it onto a piece of paper because this will help you in a practical way know how to use God's Word. Review. Last week we went through sign number one from John's Gospel, chapter two, where Jesus, who is the creator of the world, had power over natural process. What did he do? He changed dishwater into wine. And he did it immediately, without the time that it took. Was this a miracle? Yes, it was. Why did he do it? 
point us to the fact that he has power over natural process. Second sign we went to John chapter 4. There was a man whose child was sick. Helpless time, isn't it, when your children or child is sick? He went to Jesus and said, will you come heal my child? And Jesus says, go, your child's well. And the man had to believe by faith that the child was healed. Was he? Did Jesus have to go to the child? No. Jesus has power over distance. It doesn't matter that he's in heaven right now and that I'm here on earth. Distance is no problem. Sign number three. We went to John chapter 5. That's right after John chapter 4. Here is Jesus showing that he has power over time and procedure. Here's a man who had been crippled for how long? All, 37 years he'd been crippled. I think it's 38. It's in there. You can read it. For 38 years he had sat by a pool looking for a miracle. And the miracle, did it ever come? Yes. Did it come through tradition? The tradition was that every once in a while an angel would come down and stir up the water and the first dude or gal to jump in would get healed that was the tradition was he healed by tradition no he was healed by a personal meeting with jesus christ the troubling thing about this is he was healed then the next day he sees jesus in the temple jesus tells him look here there's something worse that can happen to you than getting sick and dying and what that is is sin that you can die and be separated from God for eternity. And the troubling thing about this whole story is that the man went back, told the religious leaders, kind of ratted Jesus out, and really chose tradition over a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, this is where a lot of churches are. This may be where you're at. You see... We're taught about Jesus at a young age. Some of it true, some of it false. And what we hold on to is what mama taught us. We don't grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no salvation by proxy. There is no, I'm saved through mama's salvation. You see, that's what makes tradition so wrong. You see, if your mama taught you that you have to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have to grow daily and hit walk with him, then it ain't got nothing to do with mama, does it? Therefore, it has nothing to do with tradition. It has to do with a personal, daily walk with a person. Not beliefs, not ideals. So, are you ready to dive into sign number three? Turn, if you will, or sign number four. Uh, to John chapter 6. There's a lot going on in my mind today, so you'll have to go fast with me. This sign is that Jesus is the what? The bread of life. Here's the story. In the beginning, after all these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd followed him. Why? Because they saw the what? The signs which he was performing on those who were sick. 
I have never been or never had a groupie personality, but many people do. They had their favorite NASCAR driver, and they'll follow him all over the United States, following him, wanting to be part of it. Some people will attach themselves to a rock and roll group, and they will do anything to be a part of this group. And I think it, it, it lends to this greater need in every one of our lives to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. God has placed this within each and every one of us, and touring with ACDC is not going to cure that. You can go around with Jeff Gordon or whoever it is. You can meet them. Be a superstar with them. Not going to do it for you. These people were only coming to Jesus to see the show. But it's a good thing, isn't it? They came to the right show. Now, everybody wants to serve somebody who only is there to serve them. We talked about this a little bit in the first service. These people came to Jesus. And... They just wanted him to do things for them. I call this the Santa Claus Jesus. We have confused, so confused, Jesus Christ and Santa Claus. Let me explain. You see, we love the Santa Claus model. You see, he hears you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been... So be good for goodness sake. But we all know that it doesn't really give a rip how you act. Because come Christmas time, whether you're good or bad, you're going to get what you want. And we've transferred that to God. That God, you know he's got all these things that he tells you he wants, but you know what? It's all a bunch of baloney. It's a smokescreen. Everybody knows that one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, Oh gosh, you know, come on in. These people had come, lots of people, 15,000 people had come to see Jesus perform. Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, huh, we need to feed these people. Y'all go down to Burger King, get the full meal deal, bring it here. We ain't got the money. He says, what, what do you have? And one of the disciples walks forward and says, we've got what? Five loaves and Two fish. Jesus says, okay, let's pray over it. So he prays over it and he breaks bread. Jesus fed 15,000 plus people with five loaves and two fishes. And then after he was done, he collected the extra. Twelve baskets full of extra. Now what does that teach us? Why is Jesus doing this? Isn't it interesting that all Jesus asks from us is us? All he wants from you is you. And then he wants to take whatever you are and use it however he pleases. And we fight this tooth and nail. Look at verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, he fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. They saw it. They said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Did they come to the right conclusion? Let's ask this side. Are you awake over here? Did they come to the right conclusion? Partially. They said this is Messiah. That's what they're really saying here. Was he Messiah? Is he Messiah? Yes. Here's the problem. Here's where they missed it. And here's where we can miss it if we're not very careful. You ready? So listen, I'm going to... I get excited. When I get excited, I talk loud. And so I'm, I'm trying to talk softer so you don't think I'm upset. I'm not upset. I just get excited. If we are not careful, we'll miss the purpose of Christ. Christ's purpose is not to come here and fix your circumstances. He didn't come to make your life better. He came to fix your problem, but your problem's not your circumstances. Your problem is you. My problem is me. I asked them this morning, imagine what church would be like if we all grabbed a hold of the fact that we're the problem. It kind of looked like Chip and Dale, you know? Oh, no, I was in the flesh. It's my fault. No, 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 it was me. I was totally wrong. The devil just got a hold of my tongue, and I'm the one that needs to ask for forgiveness. Is that the way it goes in church? No. How does it go? You and your mama. Until you grasp the fact that you're the problem, you'll never understand that you need this is what's so scary about the fact that we think we're good people. You see, good people, Joel, don't need a Savior. Good people don't need salvation. The people that need saving are the people that cannot save themselves. Have you understood that what you need from Jesus is not Him to fix? You need him more than you need food. That's the point here. More than you need a job, more than you need shelter, more than you need a good family life, more than you need a good woman, more than you need a good man, more than you need Jack. You need him. And that is all. That's his point. Let's move on. Sign number five. Jesus has just got done, because it's connected with this, but Jesus has power over the physical world. He has just got done talking and preaching and make feeding 15,000 people, and he's war slap out. It's interesting to me that you can sleep through church when I'm the one up here expelling the energy. Jesus is wore out. What does he do? He calls the travel agent and says, I need something down by the Mediterranean. Get away from these people for a little while. Is that what he does? I need a vacation. I found that when I go on vacation, I come back tired than when I went. What he did was, every time Jesus got war slap out, he went and spent time with the Father alone. When I'm feeling down, I... I 
I had a fire at my house. I had a huge pile of wood in my yard, and I lit it on fire. It burned for seven days. Now, the first two days, I was really concerned about the whole neighborhood catching on fire. After the second day, I didn't care. But I sat out there babysitting this fire one day for 15 hours. God and I had just some alone time, and it was awesome. And, you know, most of my time is spent running from here to there. Got the radio on in the car. You know, I've got 3,000 sermons on my iPod that I can listen to at all times. But how about be still and know that I'm God? Anyway, that was free. Jesus, the, the disciples leave Jesus. Apparently they weren't worried about him, so they leave him. Big storm comes up. They look over there, said, hey, Mackenzie, you see that? What's that over there? Looks like somebody's walking on the water. And they get scared to death, and guess who it is? Jesus. Jesus comes to the boat. Can I get in, boys? They say, yeah. As soon as he steps in the boat, what happens? Storm, boom, at shore. Don't, don't miss that. As soon as he got in the boat, the trouble was gone. What, what do you reckon he's trying to tell them? You think, oh, the trouble. Oh, 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 what if this happens? What if this? Oh. If he's in control, what do you have to be afraid of? Anything? Jesus here really, really shows the identity of the people and the identity of their heart. Let's read verse 26 together. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, he gets to the other side, let me catch up the story. They saw the disciples leave, and Jesus was with the Father. They ran around the mountain. Got to the other side, saw the boat, only one boat there. There's the disciples and Jesus is with them. And they say, Jesus, how'd you get here? How'd you get here, Jesus? The why question. Don't we love the why question? You notice Jesus doesn't answer it. Look what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves, and now you want another biscuit. You didn't come because you saw some inherent deficiency in yourself. You came because you wanted him to do something more for you. Verse 30, so they said to him, what? What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe? Well, what in the world? He just fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And they said, we want to see another trick. Had they seen enough proof? When's the last time you fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? 
You see, the problem is not an evidence problem. The problem is an unbelieving heart. We'll get to that later. Look at this. Look at verse 48. Jesus says, I am what? The bread of life. What's life? Life is knowing God. How do you get to know God? By consuming Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Through a daily walk with Him. Look, if you get to verse 58, it says, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread, what? You say, I don't believe that mess. Look, I'm just showing you the signs, okay? You can, you can, it's your choice whether you want to believe or disbelieve. But what I'm saying is, here's the signs that he's given to us. You can look at the sign, and you can say, I, I've looked at him in North Carolina. You know, they're all turned different ways. I think somebody turned that sign. And when I'm lost, I said, no, that sign was probably right. It's up to you. Jesus is saying this, basically, and I'll sum it. If you are focused on the physical world only, you will die in your sins. If all you care about is the economy, all you care about is living your life happy. I deserve to be happy. Oh, you want to be happy? Surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and forget the rest. Well, I got to have me a woman. I got to have me a man. Oh. with a woman last week been married five times and looking for another one what in the world can we realize that a man ain't gonna cut it for you well i'm looking for my soulmate jesus christ is it but yeah we just wander around the church is like oh bless your heart while people that we love and know Oh, nobody you know, I'm sure. Let's move on. Go to chapter 9. Interesting sign. Here's a man who's been blind for how long? Since birth. The tradition of the day was that if you had a baby born blind, you, as mom or dad, must have done something wrong in order for the child to be born blind. That was the tradition. You won't find a verse for that. But they didn't need a verse, did they, Keith? They had tradition. So the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? They just assumed their tradition was right. Who sinned, this man or his parents? What did Jesus say? Neither. Do you realize that you could have a physical problem that you have and will have the whole your whole life and the very purpose of it is to glorify god in it read second corinthians 16 15 at the end of it anyway paul asked the lord several times to take away a physical problem that he has and god comes back and says my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness my strength is made Oh, we don't want that. 
God, hello, that's not what I asked for when I became a Christian. You were to meet all of my needs. Remember, we all want to serve a master that's only there to serve us. Is that your attitude? Look at verse 4 of chapter 9. We must work. Don't miss this. We must work. What's that? Plural or singular? Plural. So that means that the disciples could be involved in God's work. I mean, you say, that's very good, Brother Dan. You and I get to be a part of God's work? Do you realize that you have the best job in the world? Nobody can take your job away from you. It's to make disciples. Now, the pay may come from different directions, but nobody can take your job. Jesus says in verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Where is he at now? He's in heaven. So who's the light of the world now? Yes. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, Nobody lights a candle and puts it under a basket. You are the light of the world. He says, let your light shine so that they may, the world may what? See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That doesn't sound a whole like, Jesus is going to meet all my needs. He wants to change your needs. Because you only need one thing. That's Him. And until you realize that that's all you need, you are just like this blind man. That's what He's saying. Look with me. It's interesting that the miracle that He does here is just a living parable about Jesus as the Creator. And He has power to cure blindness. That's to cure this lack of belief that we have. It, he, he comes to Jesus and Jesus takes, imagine, whoosh, spits on the ground. How much spit you reckon it takes to make clay? I mean, you know, that's nasty junk. Okay? And then he takes it and he does what? Come here, boy. And he wipes it all on his face. Would you do that? And then Jesus says, go wash, and you'll see. Did he? Yes. It's interesting. Look at verse 16 with me. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Oh, by the way, when did Jesus perform this? He says, but others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs and there was a what do you realize that there will always be a division with christ there will be the ones that their eyes are open to see the truth of the signs and there'll be the other ones that say i don't know where you're at in that tradition rejected jesus as messiah but this man believed god's word And he was kicked out of the religious system because of it. But he 
unlike the other man that was healed, he saw there was far more value in a relationship with a holy God than there was in him keeping up a religious tradition. Let's move on. I've got, I've got so much to cover here. Look at verse 38. Oh, verse 38. Chapter 9, verse 38. What does it say? Someone read it. Lord, I... Pretty simple, isn't it? Look at verse 41. If you were blind... He's talking to the religious leaders now. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What's he talking about there? He's saying this. The blind man understood that he was what? Not physically only. He realized that he was blind spiritually, that he did not know God. But you see, the Pharisees, they were so religious, they were wrapped up in all their tradition that they thought they knew. There was no problem with me. It's the problem of my circumstances. See, I'm a good person. All God needs to do is fix the circumstances around me and everything will be great. Oh, you've not come to the place of understanding that you're the problem. It's religion versus a relationship. It's seeing versus blind. It's tradition versus a revelation. It's a choice that you have to make. Let's move on to the seventh sign, chapter 11. We're winding down now. Death is disturbing. Would you all say amen to that? It's disturbing. It's the one aspect when all control is lost. It's all gone. Oh, we've gotten to the point now we can shove a tube down you and breathe for you, but really we all know that it's gone. Even though the lines are still going, there's something gone. Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends, is sick. They come tell Jesus, Lazarus is sick, come quick. What does verse, chapter 11, verse 6, says what? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he hurried quickly there. How would you like it? If you call Brother Dan, Brother Dan, Mary's sick, nigh to death. Get here, hurry. And I say, well, we're doing a Bible study at the church. It's one of these two-day things. I'll be there on Tuesday. Imagine the phone calls I would get. Because what you're really saying is, your little Bible study is more important than Mary's life. No, Mary's life is in God's hands. Oh, we have so wrapped up in tradition. You know how many pastors lose their jobs because they don't do what people want them to do? You know how many pastors just toe the line and don't give a rip about helping people in their walk with the Lord because they're just trying to get along? It's sad. I told this to the first service. I'm going to tell you right now. You may not like me, but I'm telling you, I am your best friend. Because I'm telling you straight up, these are the seven signs God has given to us. 
You can either read the signs and go the direction he says, or you can rebel and say, I don't like those signs. But I'm telling you, there's consequences to the signs. Well, so Jesus finally oh, gets up and goes. And Martha comes out to meet him. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, what? I am, look, you're worried about him dying. I'm telling you, death is no big deal for me. Would to God that some Baptist folks would get this. Not a big deal. Death. Not a big deal if you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the kicker here. You see, we really believe that everybody we know gave their life to Jesus when they were a little kid or something. I know they're not practicing it right now, but they gave their life to Christ. I know it. I asked them. You see, we, we just look and to help ourselves feel better. We don't really care about them. If we cared about them, we'd have a talk. And it'd be more of a talk that, you know Jesus? Yes. Okay, good. We don't have to have talk anymore about that. Because I'm the resurrection of life. He who what? Will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the question. What's the question? Jesus is asking us the same question. Do you believe? Do you believe what I'm saying is true? You say no. Well, that's a choice you got, right? Or you can say yes. But if you say yes, then it means surrendering your whole life to him. You know, he's the only need I have. You can't say, well, you know what? I'll give you the eternal part, but I'd really like to keep control of the here and now part. Look as we go along. She said in verse 27, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha, right here, made the good profession. Have you? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If you have, you are saved. It's interesting to me. That Jesus called her to personal faith in him. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, look at verse 37. The people said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept Lazarus from what? This is the attitude that I feel in most funerals of a Christian. They really feel like we've been defeated here. You know, Martha struggled with cancer for four years. She lost her battle. Lost? For the child of Christ, lost? No, ma'am. No, sir. No. She's won. We don't believe it. Because we only believe in tradition. We do not believe in God. If we believed in God, we would live this out. Look at verse 47. Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's been a miraculous thing. They said, don't go in there. He stinks. He's raised from the dead. And here's, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many what? He says, if we don't do something about this dude, 
He just raised a, a man from the dead. If we don't do something pretty soon, our traditions are going to be shot. So what'd they do? I said, we're going to kill him. Let's kill him. And in killing him, they fulfilled God's life. Now, all those signs, we've, we've gone through them all. Let's bring up Psalms on, on the board. This is, this is scary stuff right here. I want you to picture, close your eyes for a second. Get, I, I know it's, we're, it's late. I don't care, neither do you, really. Okay? Picture a forest. Okay? The, the biggest forest you've ever been with tall trees. Everywhere you look, the grass can't even grow because there's so many trees. Now picture all of these trees are pointing like a sign to God. You got that picture in your mind? Okay, now look at me. Okay, now look at me. Here's the deal. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God has given us signs. He gave the nation of Israel a tabernacle and then a temple. And this is what David writes. He said, turn your footsteps toward the perpetual what? He says, all the signs that God gave you, the temple, the tabernacle, and then the temple, they're going to be destroyed. They were absolutely destroyed in A.D. 70. Go back and read the history books. No more temple. It says, the enemy, it's the same word for Satan, by the way, in Hebrew, has damaged everything within the sanctuary. If, if you've been in my Sunday school class or Sean's, we went through the sanctuary, how every part points to whom? Christ. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But what's the highest held tradition in Jewish history? Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And then it says this. It says your adversary, that's the word, another word for Satan, they have roared in the midst of your meeting place. That's the outward place of the tabernacle where the altar was, where sacrifice was given, and the laver where cleansing was given. And it says They've wiped all that out, and what? They have set up their own what? They've set up their own standard for signs. We want what we want. God, if you show me this, I'll believe. Would you? If he actually did it, it wouldn't be enough. Because your problem and my problem is not a problem with evidence. It is a problem with my heart. This last part is the scariest part. It says this. It seems as if one had lifted up his axe in a forest of trees. It's this picture that God has given us signs everywhere. Creation. Everywhere you look, it points to God. We have... 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,600 years with no contradictions in it. Pointing toward him. And we take an axe and knock them all down and say, what do you got now? Who in the world do we think we are? It's not Santa. It's holy God. And he's given us plenty of signs. 
You've got to make a choice, and I've got to make a choice. And I'll tell you this. My job is not to make you have, make the choice for you. My job is to have you look at the signs, tell you in a way that you can understand the signs, and then you have to make an informed decision about the signs. You have to say, look here, I'm going to give up my whole life and understand that all I need is the Lord and His direction in my life. That's it. Or you can say, I need a God that's going to come down and take care of everything that I want. It's a clear choice. It's not difficult to know, but it's difficult to surrender. Would you bow your heads? I don't know where you're at here today, but I know we're all in the same situation. I want to do what I want to do. And I would really like to do it for all eternity. That's not going to happen. Unless I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that I'm the problem. Give my life to Him. And then He will come in. And He will not take care of all my former needs. He will take care of the needs that He will show to me. Through a daily walk with Him. Here's what I'm afraid of. Many of us are trusting in our tradition. Many of us are trusting in what mom and daddy did. Many of us don't really care what's in God's word. When's the last time that you communed with God? Oh, if I asked you if you were married, you would know. And it's the same way with a relationship with the Holy God. If you have one, you know it. Oh, some days it's better than others, but I know if I got one. And I'll tell you, if you don't know if you got one, you don't got one. But you can have one. If you'll surrender your life to Him today. Father God, we come before you with this invitation. In my own heart, Father, I desperately want everyone that I meet to surrender their lives to you. But that's not a reality that I can be in control of. But Father, what I can be in control of is seeking every opportunity to make it clear the signs that you have given us, the evidence that you have given us, and presenting that in a way that people can understand to get rid of excuses. Father, may this invitation be a time where you're working and where we're listening and we're obeying what you tell us to do. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with your heads bowed, eyes closed? Jason's going to be singing. Talk with the Lord about your walk with Him. Either the reality of it or the fact that you just don't have one. your heart why won't you let him come in there's nothing in this world to keep you apart what is your answer 